when you push yourself past that physical part and you're like, how am I going to do it? It's just mental. Like, that's all it is. Right. It's mental. And it's funny because I think that's what we jumped off last time was we were talking about the mental game. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's mental for sure because, I mean, even when you look at some fighters, um, actually Custom Auto, I probably talked about this last time, Tyson's coach, he was like the first guy to bring in the whole mental aspect of fighting. But um, you see these guys, they have all the tools. They like they're physically they can do it. But if they if they get the wrong ideas in their head, they just self sabotage and just can't do it. Uh, versus some people who shouldn't be able to win a certain fight, and for some reason maybe they were just saying the right things in their head. You know, they get victory. So it's just mental. Man, game. it happens with with the Olympics all the time. Mm. Like the, the Jamaican bobsled team, right? Cool Runnings, man. Yeah, Cool, cool Runnings. Man. What a movie. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible movie, actually. Though. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> it's actually such a bad movie. Like, it's just not good. Oh yeah, I'm sure if I went back and watched it, I would be horrified. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's like so, it's like a Disney movie, but you're like, oh my gosh, what were you guys? You guys allowed this? <laughs> Who wrote this script? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like Airbud Nine. Like that. Yeah. that I mean, Airbud Air One wasn't necessary, but it was cute. Airbud yeah. Two was like it's like Beethoven the third or fourth or whatever it ended up getting to. You're like, okay, I get it. There's like a Saint Bernard in the family. It's cool. And right. then you're like, nah, this like, like I'm over it. I don't need any more monkey movies or dog movies <laughs> or freaking yeah. any of that garbage. Exactly. It's, that's that's where Cool Runnings is classified. It's in that same category of these, like yeah. fun movies that at the time you think are good and they're actually just horrible when you yeah, go back. Kind of makes me want to rewatch uh, it just to see how bad it really was, you know. <laughs> oh, I know. Or the other side of it is like sometimes you just leave those memories of like, hey, it was a good movie. I'm Ben Grenell, and this is Care. Ending somewhere else, part three with the gods. Joke, ongoing, ongoing joke with my my best friend and um, this like small group of guys that every time we go to the lake we try to watch Weekend at Bernie's one and two, <laughs> and, like one or two, and we've never actually finished it. And it's like yeah. the worst movie of all time, but we still are like, no, no. I mean, Weekend at Bernie's, it's good, man. It's good, and it's yeah. it's horrible. It's awful. Yeah, I like just how you said bad you try acting, to watch bad it. Bad story. Yeah. Yeah, there's the one gimmick is like the guy doing the like that kind of weird that dance he does when he walks. It's like, okay, I saw the movie. Like <laughs> that's the gimmick of the movie, right? Like the whole the whole time. I don't even remember it. Yeah. No, dude. No, I like don't even get me started on it because I actually know I know that song. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna come clean here. Yeah. The number of times that I've YouTubed the Bone Crusher dance from Weekend at Bernie's 2 <laughs> is, 
is more than you can count on two hands. That's for sure. Jeez. That's a little embarrassing. So I know the, yeah. that Bone Crusher dance, man, the, the two, like, witchcraft guys. And yeah. They bring Dude. out the chicken bones and all that, and they put on the ghetto blaster with that song. Oh yeah, man! I know every, that. Every, everyone has a everyone has a guilty pleasure, you know. That, that's just yours. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So it's all. Yeah, I actually don't remember that much of the movie. I just remember the, you know, the kind of iconic scene of the of the guy sort of like I don't even know. Like he's kind of like limboing, and he's like kind of like doing his like dance or whatever. That's all I remember. I left it in the past. <laughs> The bone. Cr- I, I was the first time I ever watched that. Like not the whole movie, obviously, because mm-hmm. they don't finish it ever. But the first time I ever watched the Bone Crusher dance, I think it was a little buzz too. But I remember laughing to the point where I was crying because they put on that song and like Bernie, Bernie would be lying on the floor and his crotch would start like bouncing up and down off the floor, and I just couldn't <laughs> figure out how that was even part of the movie. <laughs> Like it's just such a haggard storyline, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah, like, okay, so you're you're though. the director. Yeah. Like you're the director. You're sitting in the chair. Uh, you hop behind the lens a little bit, and you're like, "Yeah, I think we got the shot." And yeah, you're like, no, man, lie on the floor. We need more bouncing crotch to that ghetto <laughs> blaster music. You're you're at a seven. Could you bring it up to a nine or a ten? <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah, like just Jeez. so good and so wrong at the same time. Yeah, man. Oh, dude, good times. Yeah. We got to pick up on boot camp. We, so oh, we yeah, left off. Camp. We were laughing, not not quite to the point of tears, but pretty close. We we're talking about mm. everybody's in their blue sweatsuits and looks like a bunch of Uncle Phils. Right. Uh, you you were doing some dirty work behind the scenes to. Uh, get extra phone calls in so you and the crew would sneak your way out and right. uh and we did talked I, a bunch of tell camp, you about, man. we talked did i tell you about the because um, there's only really two two other stories that sort of feel like you, you know i i have to tell these stories because they're kind of you know part of the experience one of them is the, the battle stations um i don't know if i talked about that it, it was a little bit of like sleep deprivation so. but but compared to what we're talking about here, dude, I think you've done Battle Stations like every week of your life, sounds like. Um, so Battle Stations is like the last piece, but there's an, there's another piece, which um, this is the one that like, I don't know, it's probably the, the most fun to talk about because it's basically called the, they call it the confidence chamber because they're not allowed to call it the gas chamber anymore. It's just not PC, but um, basically all it is. Yeah, that does not sound very yeah, PC, man. No, no, it's not. Because it's, it's, uh, it's tear gas. That's why they used to call it the gas chamber. But basically, they tear gas you. What do you mean? Uh, as, yeah, yeah. They, so, they so this do is, or they used to? No, they still do. They tear gas you. That, that's why they call it the what? chamber now. Yeah, man. This is like the part of boot camp my brother told me about, you know, before I went in. And it's just something you know. I mean, this isn't – it's funny because, like, in retrospect, it's not that big of a deal because – if you work like say security or or if you work in a prison, then they actually mace you with like really hardcore stuff. And I would much rather be tear gas than mace because mace will like stick with you. Whereas tear gas, it's pretty it's pretty lightweight in comparison. I mean, 
not that I've never been like in a situation where they've, you know, like a whole tear gas can. So anyway, I'll just tell, I'll tell you the story. So, um, Dude, the this, is, this doesn't even sound humane. Yeah, right. Well, it's funny because I think it's it, the, it, their, the petty officers. It's their favorite part. This is the part they love the most. And <laughs> so it's like hazing. It's basically hazing. It's it's like and, man, and this, it's all. This, go ahead. I was just gonna say this is, this is like trying out for a soccer team and being like, okay, well, we're gonna kick you in the nuts because there's a chance the ball <laughs> might hit you there sometime. <laughs> That's exactly. Like it just what doesn't it. make sense. It's exact. Well, here's how they make it make sense, and I would I tend to agree with you. They don't really have to do this, but I don't know. It, it, it spices it up for uh, for them a little bit, I guess. And like, once again, I don't agree. But um, so they call it the confidence chamber because you have to. You're you're actually using these like um, charcoal uh, gas masks. You have to like put those bad boys on and and make sure they're you know you get complete suction around your face. Um, and they're just like demonstrating, hey, this is how these things work, and it may not seem like they work because it's just charcoal. That's all the the filter is. It's just charcoal, um, like a fish tank has like a charcoal filter. But you go into these these rooms, and what they do is uh, they march you in there, you know, line after line after line. You put these gas masks on and tighten the straps on the sides. You make sure you have complete suction, and then there's like a hot plate, and they drop tablets on the hot plate, and the tablets are the the gas. And they have these oscillating fans that are up at the top of the room, so it like spreads it out. And so you can breathe just fine with these uh, charcoal, you know, gas masks on. And that's sort of the quote-unquote confidence. Like it's supposed to give you confidence that you can wear this thing and it will work, even though it doesn't seem like it would really do much. And then they come around, and this is the part that really sucked because I'm really sensitive to this stuff. To like. If someone's chopping onions and I'm anywhere near the kitchen, like I get, my eyes are like, you know, really sensitive. My eyes get, you know, I get messed up by this stuff. So I'm actually standing in probably the worst possible position, which is I was one of the first people to march in. So I'm all the way to the left side, which means that they're going to start with me first. I'm going to take my mask off and drop it in. And then when we march out, I'm going to be the last person to leave the room. And I already knew what was going to happen. Like I had kind of an idea from, from my brother telling me. And they, they kind of messed with you a little bit while this happened. So took the mask off, dropped it in the trash can. You're not allowed to keep your eyes closed. Um, and you definitely can't keep them just open. So my strategy was I'm just going to blink like hell. Like just keep blinking. And right on the other side, there's literally like a, um, like a glass pane. And then on the other side of the glass is the petty officer's. And they're just laughing their ass off. They're like pointing their finger and like laughing because people are, you know, having a hell of a time. Um, but I'm standing there at attention, blinking my eyes, and I knew that they were going to make you breathe. Some people try to hold their breath, but that doesn't work because they, they make you sound off. You know, you say like, uh, if you say like, you know, Seaman or Cook Gonzalez, Division 315, you know, something like you have to say some sort of thing so they know that you're breathing. And... And so I say my thing and I'm just blinking a lot and I'm taking these real shallow breaths because you have to breathe it in. And what it feels like is it feels like if the air had like Tabasco sauce in it and you were breathing in Tabasco through your sinuses, that's what it feels like. Um, Like every breath is just like Tabasco throughout your sinuses. And so you just take these real shallow breaths, but it's kind of funny because I remember this one guy was like, 
there's something called a training timeout, like in boot camp. They tell you this at the beginning. You can like put your hand up and say training timeout, which just means something really bad is happening. <laughs> and this guy put this hand up, training timeout, you know, and the guy, the petty officer's like, like, what's wrong? And he's like, I can't breathe. He's like, he's like, if you can talk to me, you can breathe, son, you know. <laughs> and so there wasn't really like a real, a real cause for it. It's just like a hell of a time. So, uh, so yeah, we're just sitting there freaking, you know, I'm, I'm blinking my eyes and people are going through it and just, it's not fun. People are just doubled over coughing and snot everywhere. Oh yeah. And they tell you, you have to like hold your, you have to hold your hand underneath your, your face, just like for whatever snot comes out, you catch it. It's kind of nasty, but, um, but yeah, man, it was pretty brutal. And I'm, I'm actually, so we turn and we go to walk out of this room and, um, I barely made it out. Like I actually started to get dizzy almost like fell over, but you make it out. And then when you get outside, you're supposed to like flap your arms, like you're a bird to try to get this stuff off your clothes and you just breathe in the fresh air. And it's, you know, it sucks. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I had to and, tell that story. I mean, it's just part of the, the experience, and, I guess. And so were you dizzy because you like, because you weren't breathing, like you were trying to hold your breath or is it something that the tear gas actually does to you? Well, you know, I think it was, I was actually really sensitive to it because here's the, the other side of the coin is there's some guys and I think it tends to happen with people who, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to say anything stupid here, but like the stories that I heard were people who live like near swampy areas or whatever, basically they, they have like a tolerance to it. So some people it doesn't even affect at all. Like they can just sit there like, yeah, and <laughs> Like it's not doing anything to them. So some people have like a complete resistance to it, but, um, but I had like a strategy going in. So I think I was able to deal with it really well, like seemingly able to deal with it really well. Like if you looked at me, you'd be like, Oh, that guy seems fine. But I think actually, you know, like I said before, man, any, like my eyes get, if I yawn too much, my eyes will get red. Like if I'm in the proximity of somebody cutting onions, like my eyes, like I'm like, I can't be in the same room. So, um, so I think it just jacked me up pretty bad. And I was, I was really surprised actually like uh, that, that I thought I might faint as I was like leaving the room. I was like, Whoa, kind of like, it was just the last bit. I'm like, I can't believe I made it out. Like just barely. Cause I don't know, maybe five, six more seconds. I probably would have just like, like fell over or something. It's just, it was, it's pretty intense for, at least for me it was. Um, but everybody has to go through it. So I'm not, I'm not special, but some people actually get to leave that room a little bit sooner if they're on the, a certain side of the line, they like, they're like closer to the door. It just so happened. I was like all the way at the end. And do other people, like are there people who can't handle it and they actually break down or. Like, well, I mean, that, that's kind of there. What, does anything bad? Nah, I mean, that's kind of what happened was the, the guy who did a training timeout that that was his version of breaking down. I mean, other people, they have, these funny, you know, I mean, I say they're funny because it's really not, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's a story of somebody really having a, a situation of like maybe a medical situation, but I've never heard of it happening. I, it's pretty harmless. Um, it seems like it's pretty harmless. <laughs> it sucks while you're going through it, but people, yeah, they, they sort of freak out. Um, I think I remember a guy like even sort of like kind of screaming, like, like whooping a little, like, what? like, ah, ah, you know, like something like that. Like, it's just, it shocks people. It's like shocking because nobody warned them. Like my brother was able to tell me, Hey, this is, this is the part that's going to suck the most about boot camp. 
or one of the one of the most you know sort of it's an experience let's just put it that way and uh but i I mean i I can think of a bunch of experiences that would be you know way worse than that like even like i said the um you know getting maced to me getting maced would be way worse because that stuff is actually on your body and you can't even really wash that stuff off because then it just like reactivates it whereas this stuff you walk outside you kind of air out and you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that sucked, but back to normal, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's more, nothing about boot camp sounds, <laughs> nothing about boot camp sounds fun. Like just nothing <laughs> other than like, it, I mean, if you look at the, look at the good side of it, yeah. it teaches you discipline. It teaches you respect yeah. for um, everyone else who's going through, tough times like facing that adversity with you so yeah i mean that's good yeah. uh it teaches you to be like m- mentally tough like it teaches you like to dig deep and and to like embrace your own mental game right right but like let's say that's like three percent of like the 97 the rest the other 97 percent of boot camp just sounds horrible <laughs> like nothing yeah, sounds man, fun <laughs> It's definitely not a, uh, it's, it would be like fasting or something like that. Like it is not, it's almost like not designed to be fun, but there are some, some benefits, you know? Um, well, exactly. And I, I, I would also say like, you know, especially like in the U S just how big it is and like how many States there are getting to meet all these different people. That's kind of cool. Um, but that's sort of a different, it's, it's like an education of like the country in a way, like it's just like this, microcosm of a melting pot like you just get to meet all these people you're like whoa um oh gosh dude the people man i have to tell this story this one's actually hilarious just because the the petty officers themselves they're they're like half you know like half sort of drill sergeant like what you would expect but like half comedian they have these they say the funniest things and uh when you're there when you get all your clothes one of the things they have you do is they have you stencil your name on all your clothes. So you know that they belong to you. They, you have like a, literally a stencil is cut with like your, um, your last name, your first and middle initial. And like, I think it's like your, uh, the last four of your social security number. You take these like weird sort of, uh, almost like paint pens. They have like a marble in them so you can shake them up and you, there's, there's like a whole afternoon of like everybody, you know, sits down and we stencil, like there's instructions, like the petty officers walk you through every single step. And so the the funny thing is we had this guy who was like this Chinese dude. He was really odd, like really odd, but super funny. And uh, like funny just because he was such an odd guy. And um, anyway, he's, he's stenciling his stuff and he's taking forever. And I just remember this one line, which is uh, the petty officer yelled at him. Because this last guy, this last guy's name was you, like Y U, so he had it easier than anybody. Two letters for his last name, and he goes, "What are you doing, you? Are you still stenciling your name? Vasconcelos is already done." <laughs> this guy's last name Vasconcelos is like the longest name in our vision, and uh, it was just it's just so funny, man. These guys, these characters you meet, it's funny. Your podcast character. Um, but yeah, this guy ended up, you ended up, uh, because you can't eat, you know, you go to the chow hall certain times of the day. Later on, he ended up like storing a bunch of food in his like 
laundry bag and like doing all kinds of weird, like weird stuff. So he got in trouble, <laughs> and, you know. Oh, and so he had to stand at attention. I remember they found food in his laundry bag. The petty officer made him stand at attention. And then he noticed his shirt seemed weird, so he untucked it, and it was like a large or an extra large, and this guy was super short. He was like 5'2", five 5'3", five something like that. And it was like down to his knees. And so this guy had been like, he had like stole somebody else's like undershirts. He was just sort of a mess. You're just like, what are you doing, man? But super funny guy. Um, and like, anyway. what would a guy like that, like an awkward, weird dude like that, what would his position be like years you, you had yours locked in you were yeah. you were on the path to do photography stuff like would that guy just right. be like scrubbing the deck <laughs> is he no, is he I, like a, a gomer <laughs> <laughs> pretty much man like that's kind of what happens if you sort of if you i don't want to say funk out but if you um if, if you don't stay on the path, then the first thing that happens is you go, they'll basically take your, your job away from you and you'll go in undesignated, um, which is like the worst thing ever from what I understand is like, you're basically like, you're a scrub, dude. You're, you're just a scrub. But I think his, if I remember correctly, I think he was going to be a, um, an MS, which is like a mess hall management specialist, which is a fancy name for cook. I think he was going to be a cook in the Navy. So that's just like, oh, no. Yeah, just like a not a great job, I don't think. So, um, but he seemed like the guy. The was, guy who can't manage his own T-shirt size yeah, is going to be dude, feeding making food. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, like the yeah, guy I mean, can't even dress himself. Yeah, he's in charge of combining he was a, ingredients. Yeah, man, he's a people. mess. And like, I remember he because he he had this like weird nature about him where like you talk to him. And he'd kind of, like, look up, and he'd kind of smile and kind of giggle. And, like, but he just seemed like he was in a different place sometimes. And so I think somebody was talking to him once and really got his backstory, which is, like, he was, like, a raver kid. And he dropped, like, a bunch of acid. And, like, he was just, she was something else, man. He was, like, he was clearly doing this to sort of uh, get on some sort of straight and narrow path. Uh, but he was just such a character like you're just like where do you come from <laughs> like you just fell out of the sky man you're so odd so yeah guys like that um but anyway i I digress uh the last story i'll tell you about boot camp and then i think you know we'll talk some like i think la stuff i, I forget but um the last thing is yeah, is uh i'm gonna hit la yeah so battle stations um this is actually kind of crazy because, so, you know, when, when you're in boot camp, you see every now and then you'll see these people marching around where they have literally have their pants tucked into their socks and then they have their, uh, they have like a utility. Like the utilities is eventually what you graduate to in terms of like clothes. It's like a button down, almost like a denim looking shirt, like a blue denim shirt, some like blue pants or whatever. But anyway, they have this, this denim shirt buttoned all the way up to the top button kind of like, I don't know, just like what looks like fashionable nowadays or whatever. But, uh, and then their pants are tucked into their socks and you're like, okay, these guys are in battle stations, which is like the last hurrah of boot camp. Um, it's like a 24 hour, I guess this is the last hazing <laughs> really, but they, what they do is they run you around this campus for 24 hours straight. And, um, you do these different battle stations. I mean, they have you, um, 
I mean, it's, when you when you really think about it, I mean, looking back at it, it's kind of silly. Like, I don't know, they have you, they do have you put out a fire, but I mean, it all feels like kind of hokey in a way. But really, the sleep deprivation is the, the the shitty part. But you know, like you literally have to go like put out a fire with like a legit water hose. Um, but it's not it's not like a crazy not, nothing too crazy. You have to like rescue sort of these. Um, like mock rescue these people, which are really just like dummies on like, um, like, uh, I don't know what are those things called? Like a, like a stretcher. Like you have to pull people out of mazes and, um, you know, do like a, there's a boat that you have to basically get underway, like do all the line work of like the ropes and all this crap. Um, but anyway, you, you do this whole thing and it lasts 24 hours. And at the very end of it, I mean, I think you're done at like, six in the morning or something like that. Like the sun's coming up. I remember, you know, marching back. This is like the coolest thing is like, you're done. And it's like the day, it's like day is literally breaking daybreak. Like the sun's coming up and you're done. And you're like, dude, I'm done with boot camp. I'm fucking done. And, but you're, you're wiped out just from having to do all these different tasks throughout the, the night. And I remember like, you know, even in the middle of the night, like you're, you're running everywhere. Everywhere you go, you run. You don't, you don't march anymore. You like run. I remember like running to one of the stations. I actually like tweaked my ankle. Like I stepped off the curb weird and like rolled my ankle while I was running, but I had to keep going. Um, and that's a minor thing, but like all these little things add up and you're just like, okay, you know, you're finally done with boot camp, And, uh, eventually you're just like marching back or whatever. And I can't remember. I don't remember exactly like what we did. If we like went to our barracks and dropped off some stuff and, continued to do some more stuff but i just remember that people were falling asleep left and right and um and i was one of them like i was marching and i fell asleep marching so i kept marching and the division made like a right hand turn <laughs> freaking this is like weekend at bernie's right here man literally just kept walking but i was asleep <laughs> like straight i just kept walking straight and then I woke up at some point and, like, looked to the right. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's my division. And I had to, like, run back and put myself back in line. But, um, but that's Wouldn't they call you back into line? Wouldn't they be like, recruit Gonzalez? Like, get, like, yeah, or do they, or they, they just like, me. no, Gonzalez and, and you are uh, marching off on their own direction. <laughs> yeah, like, tripping over our shirts and stuff. Uh, you know, Dude, I, oh, I, I, I picture that guy. Yeah. I, I, all, like it's so hard to like. I mean, I got this mental model of you <laughs> and what he looked like. And I mean, I picture him like yeah. Jack Sparrow at the top of a bird's nest in a freaking on a <laughs> navy ship, and and I picture him mopping floors, wearing an oversized shirt, and when he goes to march, he can't figure out the coordination, and he trips over his own two feet. Like that's and, the way that I picture this guy. Yeah. Well, one thing I forgot to describe about him. He's like this like short Chinese dude. And his head is like super square. That was like one thing that we all couldn't get. It was just like a cinder block for a head, man. It was so weird. Like a like a Frankenstein head, man. And uh, <laughs> pretty much every square head. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and there's a ton of these guys in the military where they're you're just like, how do you even exist, man? Like, and and then the thing that dawns on you is like you're you're like you're part of what makes up the military you are you somehow protect the country i guess um and there's just a lot of these guys and you're just like kind of dumbfounded like wow like the military's made up of a bunch of idiots 
<laughs> and that's not necessarily true, <laughs> but it's not false either. So uh, it's true somewhere. Yeah, but, but the crazy thing is that all these people with all these different backgrounds uh-huh. come from all across the country. Yep. And you could grow up super, um, like, like let's say you, you didn't grow up very wealthy, right? Like you grew up in a super low um, socioeconomic status or you grew up extremely wealthy. And right. when you go in, you're in a blue sweatsuit. Nobody gives two shits about who you were. It's just yeah. that it's like a very even playing field, it sounds like, where it's like, no, we're all in the Navy or we're all in the military. And it's like, you're just a number and a, a name. That's it. You're yeah, just that's a number. Exactly, like you're just, that's like, exactly it. I mean, wonderful so summary. And it, it, it is because it's you good can really, in a way, right? Like, it, it, it is. It's excelling the ego in the pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, it, it's also like merit based. Like, like I was. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like the the standard seems kind of low. But like, even in boot camp, I wasn't trying to excel, and I was like getting rewarded for folding my clothes correctly and stuff like that. Like, but doing a, you know, trying to be excellent at it at the same time. But still, it's like, okay, guys, we're folding clothes. Like, you know. Um, well, dude, I mean, it. It's like you you're doing grade twelve math against mm-hmm. you who's doing grade like you're doing grade 12 calculus and you is doing one plus one in, in <laughs> yeah. like freaking elementary math and it's like it's true what, what do you expect right it's true no it's true man um but but at the same time i think you the and cool rick thing about it rick, oh yeah rick like <laughs> rick smiley hey smiley guy was not laughing at the end of that <laughs> It's so funny, man. It's kind of, kind of a cool evolution in a weird twist way to see. You're just like, man, that guy is no longer laughing. He was laughing for a long time, though. <laughs> um, oh, man. But, but back to this, like, sort of the, the, the everyone's equal. Um, I think it's really good for people who, I don't know, maybe didn't have direction or, or whatever. Like, if you can find yourself in this scenario and see that if you just, you know, put in some effort, that you can get recognized and rewarded. It's it's a it's an interesting system for somebody who might need that type of encouragement. But you know, for me, it was always hard to. You kind of have to keep in mind that this is also about like war. <laughs> like it's not just about you know, like Uncle Sam's not just uh, there to give you your education and and all. It's you know, at the end of the day, this is about like the military. So that that was always a hard yeah. idea for me to. Uh, by the way, it's a uh, thunder and lightning here tonight. I don't know if you hear that, but um, yeah, man. Uh, wow, that brings back some memories, man. The thunder and lightning because when we were there, it, it was pretty crazy. But um, yeah. So anyway, the, you know, everybody being the same, it's like you kind of get out of it what you put into it, and um, you know, and you're talking about like different sort of economic backgrounds there'd be guys there who grew up well off and and it was just their dream to be like a navy seal and so you'd find these guys like i remember one guy in particular like came from like a pretty you know seemed like well-to-do family but he just he was like wanted to be a navy seal and like that's why he was there and uh you know he was excellent as well like he just did his best and um but yeah all these different people man it's, it's a trip yeah, I mean, it's. I think that it's like you said, it gets pretty real pretty quickly when you 
like you can laugh about certain things as, as mentally taxing as it might be going through something like boot camp and you you mm-hmm. know that there's an end to it it gets pretty mm-hmm. real when you start thinking about the war aspect of it and yeah. it it is true it's like you said if you if you come from a family that you might not have had tons of direction um yeah it could be a good opportunity to find um somewhat of a, a a more linear path right like there's some pretty clear direction like if i do this then i get that right uh the other side of it is if you come from a family where you had full autonomy but not in a good way like you come from a family where you were wealthier and you're spoiled and everything's always given to you and you've got a little bit of an attitude or an ego it straightens out that arrow pretty quickly and very quickly you don't have the opportunity to be a shithead you know like you just don't because nobody cares nobody's gonna care Nobody cares, man. In fact, it holds it holds the rest of the group back, and that's what you learn too, you know? Um, like one dude can ruin it for everybody. And so it's not even just about you anymore. It's about, uh, no pun intended, but it's about, you know, it's about the whole team. And that's the coolest thing is to, to watch a group of people function together at a high level. That's super amazing to see, like watching everybody work together it's it's so badass and that's what that's really what battle stations is about is about um how well does the, like the team do together at the at the end of this whole thing um and that was like the biggest takeaway from boot camp was like just sort of mind-blowing like holy crap like i think i i think about it through the corporate lens like working in a corporate environment and i go we you know i say we but when i'm when i was in that environment it's like dude people are wasting their freaking time and energy like nobody's working together everyone has their own agenda and they're trying to like they're trying to get to the top but if we all work together and i I could just imagine big businesses like you know like even like google or amazon i'm sure there's a lot of just like individuals in those businesses and if those businesses could work together like the military it would be insane like that's what the military taught me was like teamwork like to the nth degree you're just like holy shit we have so much capability as a group of people if we pull the rope in the same direction it's crazy yeah and that's the tough thing is that when you so you get all these different people with different backgrounds and different skill sets and some people are going to be stronger than others at certain things and other people might be weaker in an area but the challenge is to get everybody working as a team. Like, let's say you, and I, I'm just picking on you, and I shouldn't be, but picking on you, right? Because uh, he sounds like a bit of a Goomba, right? So you get you, right. and you isn't as good at something. And you're like, well, you's on my team of 10 here. I have to figure out how to utilize you and pull the best strengths I can out of them, just every little bit, so that it's like, if everybody's got a hand on, on the the beam and you're all lifting it at the same time, you're going to get it somewhere. But if you're like, nah, we'll go with nine guys because like, we'll just get, we'll lift the beam better. It's like, sometimes that's not good. Sometimes it is right. Like there could be one bad apple that you're like, no, you're actually ruining it. We're going to muscle through this with nine. But for the most part, if you can like pull the best out of people on a team, yeah, you're always going to get somebody contributing something. Right. Right, right. And, and I, I think, think that's kind of the it. cool thing. That's what it teaches you. Yeah, you're nailing it with, like, getting the best out of somebody. Because, like like you mentioned, 
not everybody's going to be capable of the same thing. And so you're literally just striving to get whatever they can offer their very best. And it may be a six out of 10, but if they can give that six out of 10, that is going to make the difference right there. Then, then if they, you know, don't have the right sort of mental model and they're, they're given a two out of six or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes exactly. that means you have, to, yeah, you have to like run behind this guy and like maybe, um, you know, if, if you're carrying a pack, you know, not that they allow you to do this, but maybe like spread that load of the pack, like whatever is in his bag. Like maybe you, uh, actually there is times that come to think of it where I remember I had to do this. Give these big ass sea bags when you're marching um, and they're full of, of all your stuff, your uniforms, and they're pretty heavy. And, you know, the AROC and the RPOC, these guys, and I think even the, the guys who hold the flags, they couldn't carry their, their bags at a certain point. Like, we were just moving from one place to another. But I remember volunteering to, like, hold someone else's bag. And these fucking things, man, they cut the blood off in your shoulders because they're, they're, they fit like a backpack, but they're, like, the size of a heavy bag, like a punching bag. And so you're wearing, like, two of these things, like, one on front and one on your back. And it's, like, that kind of thing where you guys just work together to make it happen. And it doesn't matter who did what. It just matters that the team succeeded. And once again, getting back to you, you know, he's there. He's, he's part of the team. So you have to get his best because that's going to be the determining factor between, like, success and failure. And it gets real, you know. I mean, obviously all this stuff's like, very simulated, but you can sort of imagine how it could feel very real. Or if you put yourself in the right, like, mind space, you're like, oh, wow, this – yeah, I get how things can go pretty bad. And even the stories they tell you about, you know, oh, this ship and, and this situation, like they'll give you these kind of age-old stories of things that have happened and basically how things didn't go south because everybody worked together and, and you know, kind of overcame these what seems to be impossible odds. Um, yeah, so so definitely. Definitely, like, teamwork is, is a huge takeaway. Still one of the most impressive things yeah, I've ever seen. Yeah, and you get you get basically you you figure out what somebody's interested in and you pull that out of them, and it's weird mm-hmm. because it's like the per, is as cliche and cheesy as it sounds, the person who seems like they're um, they're uh, underperforming or they're not not as strong a performer overall as a team member. It's like you don't know when out of a team of ten people that one person that seemed like they were doing nothing ends up saving everyone's life somehow, right? Like when you're in these situations, whatever it might be, say who knows what the situation is, right? Like it it could be anything. It could be saving somebody falls overboard and you jumps in with a, or throws the life ring and something. And you're like, Oh man, I, I judge that guy. Like if you just start judging and you, and that's your mindset, like I'm going to judge people as, sucking and like you instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt you're always like thinking the worst instead of the best like no i'm gonna like think the best for this person and then it's right. like yeah that that person proves everyone wrong i didn't think that guy was gonna do that and it's like if you don't engage that person that person's never gonna throw the life ring in the first per- first place because they won't have the confidence to do so because you as a team member or the team in general didn't pull that behavior out of them that mindset out of them right and you know i think the um you know the whole system of boot camp that's why when we first started talking about this i was like man i'm I'm interested to know who designed this thing because what it does is it kind of weeds people out or it 
sort of, like you said, straightens the arrow real quickly. It either makes them function as part of the team or they sort of get rejected somehow. And, I mean, there's almost no – you're between, like, a rock and a hard place. You pretty much have to learn how to function as a team member. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of, like – you know, they call them – in the military, they call them dirtbags. I'm sure there's a bunch of dirtbags that eventually make it out to the fleet who don't end up contributing what they need to. But um, but I'm pretty pretty optimistic that – when things go, get pretty bad, like everyone sort of rises to the occasion because of the training that you have, you just have to, you know, there's no other, there really is no other option. It gets crazy, I guess. I mean, I was never on the fleet, you know, I never went out on the ship or anything like that, but um, the training does count for, for something in terms of that teamwork. You know, I mean, I just, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw people who are like, basically have like half a brain, you know, eventually contributing or being part of a bigger thing and you're just like wow that's pretty impressive like all right i guess they got their shit together you know so so you got the honorable discharge you never ended up making it on the ship you didn't you didn't get to experience that but you got the honorable discharge you walk off walk off the base guitar in the hand and people ask you if you want to be in a band as you're on the way to la yeah, that's pretty much it. And I, I, uh, I was carrying that gig bag over my shoulder. The and then the sea bag, like I mentioned, totally corny, like out of a movie. But I mean, that those were my belongings. That's what I had. Band pulls up. You want to be in a band? No, man, I'm going to L.A. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, eventually catch my flight, go back to come back to California. Remember getting back to LAX, and I literally wanted to like kiss the pavement, the dirty LA LAX airport pavement, like where the cars pull. I wanted to kiss that floor when I got back. Cause I was just so happy to be free. I was like, I am free. <laughs> I'm like a free American. I'm never like the government no longer owns me. So, um, so yeah, I actually went back to Bakersfield, my hometown to save up a little bit of money. And it wasn't very long. I wasn't there for too long. But I uh, saved up a little bit of cash and then ended up, you know, going to basically get on like, I think it was like roommates.com back in the day. I mean, it's pretty long time ago. You know, internet wasn't as developed as, as it is now, but got on some website, found some roommates who were like uh, USC, like film student and like a theater um, student and uh, ended up getting a room there basically in like South Central Los Angeles. Drove my Volkswagen bus uh, <laughs> down to L.A. And, uh, yeah, it started, man. Um, just showed up. I remember showed up that night, signed, like, a contract, gave him a deposit, moved my stuff in, and there I was. Um, just, you know, getting ready to, to do the L.A. thing, whatever that is. And so you you found these roommates on this roommates.com. And I remember you had a roommate for quite a while. And then didn't yeah. you end up having like a falling out with one of them? Yeah, a few, you know, as you do when you live in LA, you end up having a few roommates. Um, yeah, so I, I did have a roommate. I, I guess in order to get us to that point, uh, what I will say is as soon as I got to LA, it's a, it's a pretty inhospitable place. Like it's just like, 
not what I'm, you know, it wasn't what I grew up around because like in Bakersfield, like, you know, one thing is you could, you could park your car pretty much wherever and you could even like leave it overnight and nobody would mess with it or whatever. Just like it felt, you know, it wasn't going to eat you alive, but like LA literally felt like you couldn't stop your car or pull it over or like it, there was going to be some sort of cost implication, whether it's like a ticket that you're going to get for parking or you have to pay for a meter or you can't even find a spot or you have to make sure like, it's just like, keep moving. You know, that's, that's sort of the ethic of LA is like, keep moving. And, um, so when I first got to LA, I, I had my, uh, my photography experience and I was actually working for this company, um, called Qualex. They're basically a photo developing company and they had a, uh, they, this was before like Target owned the actual photo aspect of what they do now, but there was like a, a Qualex within this Target in West Hollywood. So I was actually working like this like photo development place in Target, and then right next door there was like a this place called Ulta. It's like a cosmetics place. It was opening up, and I was there to hustle. So I I got two jobs, and so I was working at both of these places eight hours a day. So I would work at Target and they had you wear khaki pants and a black shirt, like a, I guess you could wear any kind of black shirt, but I wore like a sort of like a collared shirt, like a polo. And, and then at Ulta, they have you wearing all black, like a black polo and black pants. So when, when I'd finish my shift at Target, I'd go down to my car and I'd change my pants and I'd come right back up to Ulta and clock in. And I was working like 16 hour days, uh, just these two places, just cause I was like, I got to survive. Like I have to make money. So that's pretty much how it kicked off, like just pretty gritty, like 16-hour days, and I was like eating legit like beans and rice. I wasn't doing anything. Like I was like not going to any movies, no no indulgence like whatsoever of like, oh, I'll, I'll go do this or I'll spend – like I wasn't frivolous in any way um, because <laughs> it's expensive to to try to, to, you know, to be an actor. You have to go get like headshots. Um, so – cost of a photographer then you have to get these things printed up by the hundreds to try to get an agent <laughs> and then uh inevitably if you know you should be in some sort of acting class or like or even in a play you should be like working on your craft while you're while you're actually working so it's you know it's a pretty it, it's a grind you know um so I, I did that for quite a while lived with those guys for quite a while um yeah, I remember. I remember we talked a little bit about that, where it was just like you didn't have time to do anything else other than just hustle. Like it was just your time right. was consumed. Right, and that's why a lot of people do the uh, the wait like the waiter thing and the bartender thing. But I didn't have that experience, so it actually felt like pretty competitive to try to get a job as a waiter, which is weird. Um, just because that was those are like you know coveted positions by the actor, <laughs> like. So people come out there with like waiting experience and stuff. So yeah, um, you know, I, I guess what eventually it, ended up it's happening. Cliche. It's cliche. Like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it's cliche. It's like if you uh, if you have a startup, it's got to be based out of a garage. If you're an actor, right. you got to be a waiter beforehand. Like it's just kind of exactly. like par it's for exactly, the course. Man. Paint paint by numbers. You know, it's like oh, I guess this is what you do. If you get your packet, here's your packet. Yeah. Like oh, you're gonna go over there and go do that. So, yeah, um, but eventually I ended up working at a better photo lab um, 
because I wanted to get into this photo lab where they actually printed off like headshots. And so I knew I needed to like step up my sort of my game and my experience. So I ended up working at this, this Kodak photo lab, which ironically enough, it was like literally next to the Kodak theater, the Kodak theaters where they have the Academy Awards, but just to give you kind of placement. So it was in this mall, like uh, the Highland Hollywood center. It's like an outdoor mall, but they had this uh, Kodak theater and it was just a better sort of, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to tell the difference between, you know, the, the two different photo labs, but this was like a high, slightly higher end photo lab because, you know, you actually took photos of people if you had to do like passport photos, which nowadays you can do on any machine. But back then you'd actually have to do like Photoshop editing and um, they sold like cameras and whatever. It was just a little bit better, like a, like a half step up from what I was doing before. Um, but then eventually that got me into working at Argentum, which is like a, like a high end sort of photo lab. They printed off like quality headshots. I mean, they had like headshots from everybody. Um, in terms of like famous, you know, like their actual famous people would come in, to, like order their stuff, you know, like talk to quite a few people there. Like, uh, I don't know, Chris Hardwick. Uh, I had to call Rain Wilson once to get his like credit card number. Um, I think Kevin from like the Backstreet Boys, you know, just like these random people. But it was that kind of photo lab where, you know, basically it was like a sort of industry standard type place where it's like, Oh yeah, go to this place, get your headshots printed. Um, so the great thing about that was that, you know, I was able to get, uh, well also the insider knowledge of knowing who the really good photographers are, because once you see coming out of photography school, you know, I thought I understood a certain, you know, certain thing about photography, but you headshot photography, which is really just portrait photography. You, you sort of learn that there's an aesthetic that people are looking for in these photos and it's hard to identify right away but seeing seeing these things all day long you go oh these are the photographers that you w- would like to get your you know uh to, to do your headshots so that's kind of cool because you learn that piece of information um but then you you know you can get your headshots printed off at like i, I feel like we got them for free or they the uh, they charge us like half price or something but whatever it was it was like a really good deal uh, i think it was almost like free in most cases and then um, since it was a bunch of actors working there, it was, you know, you could, you had like a, basically a day job. And then if you had a, um, if you had an audition, you could just go, you could cut out and go to your audition. And um, so they kind of like supported you in that way, like let you go do your thing and then come back. Um, so it was a pretty good job. Like uh, it worked out pretty well. In fact, um, you ever seen Modern Family? You know that show? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so the guy Eric Stone Street, he's the he's like the big the the big guy, like the the you know, there's like the gay couple and he's like the big you know, he's kind of a got a little weight on him. <laughs> he uh Dude, he, he was best oh go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, go ahead. Uh he was best friends with the uh the general manager. Um so the guy the that was the general manager of Argentum, his name's like Stacy Hennon. And so they were best buds and, and uh Eric would come in all the time, like during the afternoon. And like, he wouldn't even come in like the front door. He came in like the back door, like, and he would goof around with us. Like him and I would like shadow box and like fight each other, like in the back. And this was before he had that part. You know, he was, he was just an actor. Like he was just a regular dude. Um, Like he wasn't, 
he wasn't famous at all. I think he'd done like a like a MasterCard commercial or something like that, but uh, or whatever it was, some sort of commercial where uh, you know it's always cool when somebody gets a books a gig like that because even though it wasn't my, I mean I'm sure I would have been happy to get one of those things, but when they book something like that, they're set for like the year. It's like you know like 60k or something like that. Those contracts usually go something like that. But anyway, you know he's just a regular dude and he would come in all the time. <clears throat> and th- these are the kind of people that that were just sort of in that environment. Um, so it's just kind of a fun little, like eventually when he made it, it was like, Oh, what the heck? Like there's, there's Eric. Like, <laughs> Eric did it. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of cool. And and you're stoked to see that journey too. Like I'm sure yeah, you're, it's like, you're part of it. You're, you're watching it happen in front of your eyes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible because you just, when you're there in the mix, it's a totally different thing. Like, it's so much more, it's more real and it's more fake at the same time. Because when you see the people that you know, like on shows, somehow it doesn't feel that real. I don't know how to explain it, but you're just kind of like, there's an illusion about it. Oh, whoa. Power just went out. That can't be good. Um, Well, and it's up. Anyway. um, Oh, man. Sorry, there's like storms going on here not that bad but the power keeps going off and on um so yeah it's just sort of trippy like to see to see these people make it and and then you kind of you know like i said it almost doesn't feel real like there's an illusion like when you've been on a bunch of sets and you know where they film and and you know the people who are working you know auditioning for things you see it all kind of come together it feels like a like a facade in some way, but at the same time, it's very real. It's like within arm's reach. It's like right there. Like, Oh, it's like super close. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a hard to, dis- I've always had a hard time describing LA. I've, I've found other people do a better job of telling me <laughs> or describing it better than I can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of a surreal experience, the whole LA thing if you're doing the acting thing, um, you know, it's, it's, it's real. That's the best way I can put it. It feels like when, when you watch people make it, it feels attainable. Like, Oh man, I can mm-hmm. do this too. But then when you see people doing it, you're like, man, this is kind of like a weird world we live in. All of a sudden, like this person who I'm bros with and just like goof around with is all of a sudden like put on a pedestal. And everybody yeah, is praising time. he or she for, like, whatever they're doing. And you're like, it's kind of a weird situation because you're like, no, like, we still just bro down. We still just, right. like, hang out and do the same old stuff we did before. But now all of a sudden you're you're looked at as being this, like, big-time actor. And then on right. the other side of it is you're like, I could do that too, though. And then you're like, yeah. do I really want to do that? But, you know, like... Probably all these yeah. weird emotions, I'm assuming. All these weird emotions. And, um, yeah, just and, – and even just, you know, on the other side of, like, the whole fake thing is, like, people are constantly networking, and it's about – everybody's trying to climb this, like, social ladder. And so that's kind of the weird part. Like, I never had a, uh, a stomach for that stuff. Like, I just – it wasn't me. It just wasn't what I was about. Um, but it's part of the business. It's, like, part of – oh. I don't want to say that. I mean, that may not be true, but it certainly seems like it's part of the animal of like, 
you know, being in the right social circles and uh, knowing the right people. And I'm certain there are people who've done it otherwise, but it certainly seems like an avenue that a lot of, you know, it's the, the tried and true, like um, it's all about who you know. It's like, well, no, but yeah, sometimes, you know, <laughs> I mean, it can help. That's for damn sure. Um, it certainly can help. Uh, I mean, ultimately, you have to crush the audition unless it's like there's some other higher level thing going on. But like sometimes knowing the right people, you can get the audition. And that counts for a ton because just getting the audition is, is hard enough. Um, but then you have to, you know, you have to show up and, and do the work. So there's always, I mean, there's a merit to it for sure. So, but it's a bunch of stuff. I was going to say, there's so much LA stuff that we haven't talked about. Cause we talked about lots. We talked about like, there's some mysteries here. We've got, I know you, you had like a falling out with your roomie, which we didn't really get into. Uh, we talked a little bit about it, but there were some like hidden USC stories that you're like, man, we got to talk about those. Jeez, USC. <sighs> wow. Um, I know I you crushed it. I know you crushed it. I know. Oh that. yeah, the, the audition. The but audition was great. Yeah. There, there was some stuff in LA that you were like, dude, there's just stuff that we haven't talked about. There's stuff with like <laughs> the girlfriend, the way that all went down. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go chronological. All these, like, little here. nuances. I'll go chronological. So, I was working at Kodak, Kodak Theater, or the rather the uh, the photo lab. Young guy would come in. It's like a little bit younger than me. He's an actor, and uh, you know, eventually, you know, he would get his film developed there all the time. And he's like, "Hey, man, like, what do you what do you do?" You know, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm you know actor and whatever." We we started talking more, and then we ended up hanging out, and. Uh, Turned out this guy lived, like, right down the street, like, literally a walk away from, from where I worked. And um, I think I was uh, still rooming with these, like, USC students. Uh, eventually, he's like, hey, man, like, it would, you know, basically it was kind of mutually beneficial if we, if we roomed together because it would, you know, lower his rent. It was real close to where I worked. So, uh, so yeah, we, you know, we became buds. And, and uh, yeah, man, we were real good friends for a while. And, Things got a little weird later on, like it was kind of a sensitive subject, but it turned out that uh, this guy was, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the Jeremy story, but this guy ended up, you know, he was, uh, he was not straight, which is fine. It just, it was sort of a, a thing. I don't know, man, like it was more about dishonesty than anything else, but um, it sort of drove us apart and we stopped being friends and eventually I ended up moving out. But this was sort of around the same time I was, uh, I kind of met this girl and, uh, you know, long story short there, um, we started dating. Her parents were like, you know, saw this was going to be pretty serious. So they're like, Hey, you know, we have a, you know, like a guest house. And so they offered, Hey, why don't you, you know, why don't you stay in this guest house? And, um, you know, you could, uh, it was important to them that I get an education. So they're like, you could, you know, go back to college, do that thing. And so I started doing that and started going to uh, Glendale community college. And, and they lived over like basically in Glendale, right? actually a place called uh, Montrose. It's just like above Glendale, like real nice, like almost like totally removed from LA, like suburban feeling um, town. In fact, if you actually want to see the, 
this street that they sort of lived off of, there's a, an old school, the street that Will, Fel- Will Ferrell runs down naked. That's the, that's their little, their main street right there. So it's like quaint little town. Uh, it feels that way anyway, but it's like basically just, you know, right outside LA. Uh, it's, it's real close. It's like, it's kind of weird how close it is, but how it feels totally different. But uh, so yeah, I live in there and I actually, you know, we ended up, I was dating this girl for a while, for like five years, in fact. Um, and eventually, uh, you know, got into USC. And uh, at, right around that time, we ended up breaking up. So, um, so yeah, so that was pretty. That was pretty tough because, you know, when I was when I was there, when I was living there, and like, you know, part of their, I guess you could say, kind of like part of their family. Um, I was part of like that whole social circle. In fact, her dad was like a pastor. So there's like this whole church implication and like, it was, it was pretty crazy. Like just that pretty much that became like all those people became, you know, family and friends and that kind of thing. And so when we, we broke up, I basically found myself living back in South central Los Angeles. So kind of like where I started (laughs) In fact, it, it was like a, the apartment I was living in was like a little bit worse. <laughs> and I was basically alone, like didn't have any, you know, social like connections anymore. It was just like sort of severed. And um, it's pretty depressing, man. It was like, it was like for the first time I'm like by myself living in this apartment, like just as lonely as you could be. <laughs> and um, yeah, dude, it was, it was it was, it was interesting because I was different than everybody at USC because like most people there, they already knew each other. Like by the time, cause I was like a junior. So if they're at junior level, they already know each other. Like, you know, they've been going to the theater program for a couple of years now and then everyone's like has their clicks or whatever, or they're freshmen and they're, you know, they're just starting um, kind of the school, but, it's just a different vibe altogether. Like, so, you know, I mean, I still made friends and everything, but it was just, I was, you know, a little bit older, um, just different. It was just a different situation. And so I didn't really have like a ton of social connections that way. And I was basically just grinding anyways, like just trying to get the best grades I possibly could, um, you know, in school or whatever. So I mean, a transfer was like a 4.0, which I'd never done anything like that in my life. So, transferred and I'm like, you know, taking these classes, especially like some of these general ed classes, which were just like, gosh, they were so boring. Like, um, one of them was called like colonial love and the French narrative or some, I don't know, some sort of weird, like, you're just like, what kind of class is this? <laughs> you know? And, uh, but very intellectually patter. Yeah. But seriously, man, just like, it just, I don't know. It just, I think some of these professors, they, they liked to name their classes because it made them feel cool. Um, you know, they liked the subject matter, but, you know, everyone was falling asleep. But whatever it was, you know, it, it actually surprisingly wasn't much harder than like a junior college education, to be honest. Um, I, I wasn't I wasn't like super impressed with the, I don't know, the level of education. I mean, there's definitely a ton of like smart people, like professors at that school and you know, whatever. And there's like, certainly everybody else there was much more motivated, which I think is sort of a key factor. 
Um, but yeah, so going to school at USC, it's, it's super expensive. So I have to get like a job and I've been doing this, uh, you know, um, at this point I, I kind of transitioned to doing graphic design. Um, and so I got a graphic design gig working for like this body jewelry company, downtown Los Angeles. And that, you know, that took a lot of my time just like working and then I'm going to school and this is like a pretty common story, but it's super expensive. Um, you know, with, with the combination of all of that, I'm still not able to make it all work. Like I have to, in order to eat, I literally have to use a credit card. So like, that's where I'm at, you know, it's like, fuck man, (laughs) like I'm just charging this thing up like so I can eat some food. And, uh, I remember it was like finals, finals finally came around and it was raining super hard in LA and the apartment I lived in was like this, um, it was like sub level. And so it it has like one of those windows where it's kind of high up, like a basement window, like a high up window, but, but it's still, there's still some outdoor access. And what happened was these lower level apartments ended up flooding during this like rain season and it was finals. So it's like finals week and my apartment's flooded. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? So, uh, I mean, the guys next door had it worse than I did. And did I tell you this story already? Uh, no, we didn't get, no, not into this one. No. Okay. So th- this is just kind of like, just to sort of paint the picture of like, I mean, it was just, it, it got depressing, <laughs> but so the guys next door had it worse because they actually had like their computers were actually like, on the ground, like the towers. So like, I think it screwed up some of their computers, but I was a little bit better off. Like my stuff didn't get quite as messed up, but during finals I had to move and I didn't have time to do this. So I didn't do it. But the, the apartment manager was like, well, you can move to this different unit upstairs. I literally, it was like diagonally across. It was the furthest, it was at the top floor and the furthest unit, you couldn't have moved me further away from where I was. So to like lug all my heavy ass, you know, I had a couch and a bed and all this stuff. I was like, I don't have time to do this during finals. So what I ended up doing was I think I took like my mattress and I took it into like, there's a walk-in closet, which makes it sound glamorous. It wasn't not a glamorous space. I mean, these were studio apartments. It's just a big closet. And I put my mattress in the, the closet so I could get some sleep during the day during finals. Like I was sleeping in a closet. <laughs> I think and, I remember you told me this, I think. Yeah, man, it was, it was, it was not cool. Um, but that was like my finals, you know, finals week was just like horrible. I was actually, I think I ended up going to like a combination of like Starbucks and Denny's because Denny's is 24 hours. Starbucks is not quite open that long to like study and just like, you know, just kind of wait it out. Um, but that was sort of the situation. And so I was like, you know what, man, I cannot be alone. Like in this apartment, this, this thing is going to freaking kill me. So I ended up whenever like that semester was over, I was looking for new roommates and I found, uh, this actually is a pretty cool, pretty yeah it was actually a really nice house for for what it was in the area but um is full of theater majors i think there was one major who uh he was actually my roommate uh his name's bruce he was a different i think i forgot what his major was but it doesn't really matter but basically there's a few other people in the house and they're theater majors 
And so I ended up moving into this house and ended up being the best thing because I had like other people around me. And, um, and I ended up meeting one of my uh, really good friends to this day because he subletted one of the rooms just for the summer. So he was there for like three months. And I, my, my friend's name is Jesse Einstein. So him and I became like really good friends and still to this day, you know, really good friends. I went to his wedding. Um, you know, that was like a couple of years ago, but anyway, uh, that move, I, I think that was pretty important because it sort of got me out of the funk. It got me back into like, in fact, I would say this was like the pivot, the pivotal moment of when I actually started enjoying LA. Um, it was like, right. This was kind of the inflection point. Um, because before that for me, it was just like a slog. Like it was just grinding the entire time, you know, just trying to make something happen. And so here I am at this, you know, prestigious type school for, especially for like film, um, you know, but theater as well. And, uh, you know, doing, doing my thing there. And I think it was there that I realized like after seeing so many sides of the business and then like now I'm kind of seeing this other side of like being a theater student and seeing all like the networking and like the kind of what, what, what feels kind of slimy to me, just like those, just the way people behave about the business around each other. It's like, I think I, I kind of stepped back at that moment and sort of made a decision. I was like, okay, is this what I want to be doing? Is this it? Is this the thing? Yeah, and so, as soon as you step back, that's when it allowed you to just kind of do your thing and just explore yes. explore new interests, right? One million percent. Because at this point, when I, I mean, you know, when I sort of gave myself that, I guess, kind of detachment and gave myself that permission, that's when I started exploring, like, the, the like, fighting stuff, like boxing, um like jujitsu and like that was the stuff I actually really, really enjoyed doing. Um, and was super bummed when I finally was going to leave LA. It's like, Oh, I'm leaving all this, like this cool stuff behind. That's super unique to this area. Like at least these typical, like these places that I'm at, like you can't get that anywhere else. Um, and I even did like, you know, I started kind of messing around with stand up because, uh, you know, when I got into acting, like in high school, like the, the reason I got into it is because I was kind of like a class clown and um, improv was like, you know, something I really enjoyed and just like making people laugh. But at this point I was like, I took it way too seriously. and You know, it was, it was hard to sort of even keep the, the tools sharp because, you know, you're constantly trying to just survive, like, you know, doing a play or doing going to classes. It was all very difficult to make it all work out. So, um, but I mean, I, I didn't actually do like with the stand up stuff. I didn't, like, I didn't take that super far, but, um, in fact, I think I only did like one, maybe two open mics. Um, and the first open mic I did, I don't know if I told you this, but so I went with my buddy, Jesse, in fact, and he did a, he did a great job because he was just like, he was just going to tell a story and he's an actor. So he just. He wasn't thinking about stand-up. He's like, I'm just going to get on stage and tell like a story that happened to me. And so he actually did pretty good. Um, and the place that we were at was called Saddle's uh, Comedy Hole. I know Rogan was talking about it for a while. I actually saw him do stand-up there once, and it was super awesome. Um, but I went on stage, and I did my thing, and it was just horrible. I can't even remember what I – I mean, 
it was it was about like relationship stuff, but it was bad. And as soon as I started in, I'm like I probably got like a couple lines in, and freaking who sits down like there's like a table like right next to the stage just off to the side and it's freaking Ari Shafir. And this is before oh, yeah. Ari is, yeah, this is before he is what he is today. But like, that was like, I don't know, it was kind of funny. It's like, okay, I did my open mic and Ari Shafir is there and I just ate a bag of shit <laughs> in front of him. No pressure. <laughs> I was just hoping but it'd did, be in front of like, go ahead. Did you, did you know like who Ari was at that time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do. Yes. Absolutely. And how, I mean, how did you know Ari if he hadn't blown up yet? Well, it's because I was so dialed into to, to Rogan stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, I remember Ari from, um, you know, from a, what's it called? Uh, dang it, who's that comic who was ripping everybody off? Um, oh, Iglesias uh, or whatever? Men, men something... You know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm just his name is escaping me right now. But anyway, there's that video. Uh, like Brian Redband was like videotaping like Joe Rogan confronting this dude, and it was because he was ripping off like he was ripping off Ari stuff. So like this was when Ari was like you know, I mean he was I think he was still working at like working the front, you know, um, like the ticket booth at like the comedy store or whatever, like the front door, whatever you want to call it. So I, I even knew him from, like, when he was just getting started. But he wasn't – he definitely didn't have a show at that time. I mean, this was, like, 2010. It was, like, seven years ago. Um, so, but I, I just knew about him because I knew about everybody who was running with Joe. You know, like, Joey Diaz and um, – I mean, so, yeah, I just knew about all these guys. Um, you know, I would watch, like, the – Joey Karate, like, I don't know if you ever saw any of those things, like, Joey Diaz is going off on these videos, and, um, I don't know, like, Ari did jiu-jitsu back in the day for, like, a little while, and, you know, I just knew about all these guys, so, so, I mean, he was kind of, he was getting more established, let's put it that way, but he didn't have, like, you know, his show or anything like that, I mean, that stuff's all pretty recent, so. That's funny. Did you end up ever going to see Diaz or like Kreischer or any of those guys when they were I saw um, Diaz. getting more and more popular? Yeah, dude. I saw D- Actually, I've seen Diaz twice now. Um, but I saw him at South Comedy. Dude, it was the best. I'm so glad I went there. South Comedy Hall. It was like, I mean, it was such a small little spot, like so tiny. I mean, I don't even know how many table or chairs were in there, but um, like literally the intimacy factor sort of made me understand like how 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 potent comedy can be because like when when I saw and granted when I saw Joe I I was like eating like a pot lollipop so I was a little I was a little under the influence. But dude, he was super funny man. Like and that sounds like kinda rude, but like, you know, I've seen his his specials and stuff and they just don't translate as well for me. But like when you're sitting there in front like the front row and he's like two, you know, four feet away from you and he's telling his jokes. Like it is, it's so funny, man. Like I can't, I can't really describe it enough. And then with Joey, I mean, so I saw Joey in this at Sal's as well. And, um, it was kind of a similar thing. In fact, the thing that surprised me about Joey Diaz was the way that he would draw people in. Cause he's like a loud character, but he would start off like real quiet and real slow. And he would like draw everybody in, 
and then he would like ramp up to like that crazy, like like he's sweating and yelling, <laughs> the thing that he does. But uh, but yeah, so that little spot was pretty cool because you know in order to see Joe Rogan, like you're gonna pay, I mean probably like I don't know, like fifty bucks a ticket nowadays to see him, but. I mean, I, I may have saw him for free or nothing. I mean, like five bucks, maybe. Whatever it was, it was nothing. And way, way more intimate than like Dude, a theater. You'll show. never, never get that kind of experience anywhere else, man. It was just like, it was so awesome. It was, and th- those are the kind of things that like make LA special. Those are the kind of things. Like, if you know about certain shows, like I saw. Um, this isn't really the same exact thing, but this is like Louis C.K. was definitely big at that time. And uh, I was paying attention to Twitter and he had, he basically was working out some material. And I mean, it was a big audience, but me and my friend, um, this girl that I was doing theater with, uh, Sam, we got tickets for 20 bucks. And Louis went on for, dude, he was on stage for like two and a half hours. It was like longer than I wanted to be there. <laughs> I was like, all right, I've I've had enough. <laughs> I saw Louis C.K. I'm ready to go, but um, that kind of a thing, you know. That's hilarious, man. There's, I mean, L.A. for for all the things that we're sitting there poking holes at, at like the 405 and um, some of the mm-hmm. pretentiousness. It's it is special in some senses, like when you dig down into things like the comedy scene, right? So at the micro mm-hmm. level, the comedy scene in the past, we'll call it, let's just say seven years, since like 2010, maybe a bit before that, call it 10 years ago, right? Yeah. From 10 years ago until now, the comedy scene's really, really blown up, or it's all these other guys. It used to just yeah. be the Chappelle's and the Louis and all the big name people would get recognition. But now as, as social media platforms have picked up and just things like Netflix is putting out more specials and more people are consuming content through YouTube, it allows all of these other guys, plus guys like Rogan who are really like putting their best foot forward to promote young up-and-comers that they think have talent, right? It gives exposure, like it just grows that pie. So it's like it, the way L.A. is with the comedy scene right now is is almost like the way that, uh, like, let's say Silicon Valley was when it was like the yeah. days of Google and startups were just happening. And now it's just like the scene's just blowing up there, right? Yeah, and that's what makes totally. it special. Yeah, that, uh, I mean... Really just, like, the thing that I keep thinking about is, like, creative people, like, artists. Like, that's the thing that makes it so, like, these just different people, man. They're different. They're just totally different, you know. Um, so whether it's it's the comedy scene, because I think that's a pretty good thing to point to. Um, but even just, like, I mean, I'm sure, like, art, just art, you know, in general in that area. Um creative people like it's just it's a place where all these people end up collecting and producing some insanely crazy stuff you know whether it's comedy or even like the improv shows are pretty pretty fun to watch um but like checking out just regular art or even like street art like seeing how um like silver lake went from a place that nobody wanted to be to a place that everybody wanted to be and from my perception, it's just because a lot of people were 
sort of painting on the walls and like doing different stuff like that and just watching things transform. I mean, I guess sort of it's different than just any city because of the creative people who go there for the things that we are kind of, you know, sort of poking holes in, but it makes it what it is, you know, and I, it kind of makes me miss that place because, you know, there's a bunch of like crazy people who go there and, and for better or for worse, it's, it's entertaining. Yeah. I, I saw Michael J. Fox a bunch of years ago. He was just doing yeah. like a public speaking thing. And he, he told this story about how when he wanted to go become an actor, he was like super, super worried to tell his dad, like his dad was this pretty militant um, and strict guy, a man of few words. And he's like, man, because he's from Vancouver, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, man, like, how am I going to tell my dad? Like, my dad's never going to buy into this. He's never going to let me go. And so finally he just worked up the courage one day and he's like, dad, I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to become an actor. And he was just like, well, my dad's going to disown me. And instead mm-hmm. his dad just looked at him and he's like, Mike, if you want to be a lumberjack, you might as well go to the goddamn woods. And then his dad ended up driving him from Vancouver to L.A., right but wow. that's that's the thing it's like you it becomes this melting pot it's it's kind of like the military back to that how we're talking yeah. all these people with these different backgrounds come to this common place right yeah and it's like look at the comedy scene you get diaz this freaking cuban dude from new jersey you get yeah, burt kreischer this party guy from florida you get ari is is uh I can't remember where Ari's from, but he grew up like strict freaking Orthodox Jew or whatever it was, right? Like, right. He, he grew up like very religious. Um, you get, uh, you have Rogan, East Coast guy. You get, I'm trying to think of like Duncan Trussell's. Brian, like Brian freaking, Red Band from Ohio. Band. <laughs> yeah, like just all over, right? And all these like funny guys, like Trussell's this hippie dude from. Yeah. From the, like somewhere, where is it? South I Carolina. Think I think. Oh no, South Carolina. No. You're right. Like North Carolina. He, he's from North or South Carolina, somewhere yeah. like that. Um, That's right. But yeah, all these guys come together with these different backgrounds and just riff on each other, riff on each other's jokes and uh, the experiences that they're having, and it just makes it like so. So funny. That's what that's what makes it yeah. special, right? It's the context. Yeah, it's literally the context. You're taught. You're describing like these, you know, these interesting p- parts. These people who are, you know, I don't know. You could I call them parts. I'm thinking about them as parts. But when they come together, that mixture, you know, it's a soup. It's a melting pot. Like we're saying, it's, that context creates something that's so interesting. You know, um, that's it. Because they can all yeah. riff on off of each other. Like ten Diaz's. 10 trussels 10 anyone is yeah. not as funny as this like eclectic mix of each yeah. each person right yeah it's not as complimentary or it doesn't play out you know like it doesn't work you know it's that sameness and really that's what it's the difference that makes the place it's so that's so different um and i hope it never exactly. like, yeah i hope it never changes for that reason like i don't know like um I hope it stays just as weird, you know, like it's, it's sort of endearing in a way. Like I, I miss it. I want to go back. Like recently I've been feeling like, man, I really want to go back to LA. It's been, it's been a long time since I've been back. Like I want to go see what it's all about. 
So. And, and so now, like, are you feeling that pull towards wanting to go there? Because I know you said that you were thinking of going to Colorado. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still, you know, definitely want to uh, – it's, it's hard to imagine, like, living in a city like that again, you know? Um, even as I live here can, in the Bay can, Area. Give like, me a sec. Sorry, i got to go yeah. take yeah, care go of you. It. So you can keep go talking, but i just got to take care of you. Yeah, go do your thing. Probably the most interesting part of an anchor interview yet. That's real life right there. Right. Everything cool? In the middle of it. What's that? Yeah, everything's cool. Cool. There you go. Context. Oh, yeah. It's all about context. No one will understand that. I said no one will understand. I said it's all about context. Right. The pause. That's the difference, right? Like, when when I rip stuff through Zencaster, then Uh it's just like, you can just, like, go. You find that, and you could just. Like, I always keep it unedited, but there, I just, like, delete that section out. But here, that's real life, so maybe we've got to give a little context, because the way that's going to flow on Anchor, there's no, if anybody even listens this far in, which they might. Right, 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 right. Yeah, um, like, it, it was just quiet, and then the phone's rustling around. It's like, yeah, that's just uh, that's just sort of like the the scene in, in Blair, like, not the scene, but, like, you know, like Blair Witch or something. Like, the camera's just moving around. It's like, well, that's... uh. That's just what happened. <laughs> no one knows what's up. So no one knows. Con- context as we digress for a second is that for sure. my little guy, he's uh, he's got a, a trach and he's um, got like a ventilator that he uses at night. So it started alarming um, just because yeah. he, he's got like an oximeter too for his toe where it shows his oxygen level and his heartbeat and all that kind of stuff. And so his oxygen level is super low so that was alarming the oximeter but then his ventilator is alarming too because it must have like popped off or something Dang. so Does he doesn't happen? need it it's not it's okay. not like a survival thing it's well i shouldn't say that. it's like he, he it's not like he's reliant on it he just said like just kind of gives yeah. him a little break at night but sorry what gotcha. were you saying is that oh yeah i just didn't know if that was a uh, something that you have to you know like if that regularly happens and if in the middle of the night while you're sleeping, if you have to like wake up and, and fix that sort of thing or what, whatever. That, well, that's why when I tried to like shut the eyes for four hours last night and I yeah. ended up getting freaking a couple cause his ventilator kept alarming. So that's why yeah. I was up all so much last night, but Dude. yeah. So back to Colorado though. Yeah, man. No, um, yeah, Colorado. No, I mean, uh, you know, to me that, it feels sort of like the, the right, the right move because, um, you know, just think about values. Like what do, what do I value? I've, 
I've lived in a couple places now. I mean, it's probably been collectively say eight, nine, ten, like 12, almost like 12 years of living in cities, you know, and, um, cities are great places, but I'd rather visit them than live in them. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just thinking about like, what do I want out of life? Like what, what matters to me most? And, you know, we talked about snowboarding. I'm like, dude, that's, that's how I want to spend my time, especially like in the winters. Like I want to be on the mountain as much as I possibly can. Like if I'm lucky, I have probably like 30 seasons left in my lifetime. So I want to make those count and, uh, you know, do that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, home ownership, you're going through sort of the, the, the reno right now. And I'm sure it's exciting in a way, like, you know, um, I, I want to get to that place where, you know, owning a home, doing the family thing. Um, but also like, even just for creativity's sake, like dialing it back. I'm such an introverted dude. Like, it's so hard to to be around things that are constantly buzzing. Like, I just, I like the quiet, you know. Um, it's almost like in order to create, I almost have to get bored in a way. And so I like that. I like that vibe. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, uh, you know. And I have I have friends who live in these places I can always visit and, it's what's cool is like actually knowing the places, even though I know they're going to change and I'm sure LA's changed a ton and I'll be surprised. Uh, I kind of look forward to that surprise a little bit. Like, like, Oh wow, this is different. You know, um, just checking that out and seeing what that's all about. Like, it's cool. Like it's cool having lived there for eight years. And, you know, I felt like I knew that place like the back of my hand, like I could, drive anywhere and I knew multiple routes like I didn't need GPS I mean some friends would probably make fun of me and laugh and like say like I got lost a lot <laughs> no but uh but you know it was just like knowing that place in inside and out and um you know just almost seeing what it's like going back and I, I don't know if I'd ever want to necessarily like live there again it's you know it's a certain it's a certain type of place I'm like you kind of have to be up for that. Um, and, you know, at that time I definitely was, and, you know, like I did, I did my best. I did what I could. And, you know, it, like, I think I left at the right time. And, you know, when I go back, I think it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Like, like, it, you know, it's, it was a great experience. It just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything that I've done. So Colorado to me feels like, that, and that's like a whole other adventure, actually. Like, I don't know what that's going to be like, but um, the handful of times I've been out there and a couple of times recently this year, you know, I just got back like like a week and a half ago, whatever it was. Um, yeah, it feels like the right spot. So, you know, we will see. We'll see how that adventure goes. But um, I don't know, man. It's It's been fun kind of checking different places out and spending, you know, quality time in these, like, so far it's been these two cities uh, or sort of areas, I would say, because both L.A. and the Bay Area are both pretty massive. But um, it's fun to get to know a place and then, you know, go on to the next chapter. And I, I hope for Colorado, I hope that I'm picking a spot where 
I feels like I'm going to want to be there for like basically indefinitely um, based on what I value. Like I, I could definitely see that being the case because I I've learned about myself a lot, you know, through these years. So understanding what I know now about who I am, it's like, yeah, that seems like the spot. That's the place. So I'm looking forward yeah. to it. And, and the other places that you live, right? Like mm-hmm. you'll look back on LA with, despite there being like some aspect of grind and some aspect of things working out differently than you thought. It's like, you still look back at that place at that time in your life with these fond memories and you, same thing with the Bay area and whether or not Colorado is the last stop on the train, you don't know, but it's like a new adventure. Right. And it's just like, yeah. you expose yourself to these new things and that's just like what keeps it fresh. And sometimes that, inspires the creativity or inspires you to take on those new interests like we talked about where it's like oh i'm gonna go i i'm getting into elk hunting or i'm gonna get into whatever it is right you picture these things you're like i'm gonna go out there and be close to the mountains and snowboard and stuff like that but you end up doing something else right that's totally different it's like that's still part of you but you just like you discover these new things yeah that's funny you kind of highlight that like sort of expectations versus what actually happens. And um, that's part of like what makes life great. I mean, I think I just, I listened to this, uh, listened to the Rolf Potts podcast with Ari, um, Ari Shafir, like in Rolf Potts. Oh, that was a goodie. Yeah, dude, that was good, man. So he wrote that book, Vagabonding, about travel. And he said something that I thought was pretty profound about, um, you know, when you make these travel plans, And he's like, if everything goes according to plan, then you're just a consumer. Like you're just sort of checking these boxes and consuming something. He's like, but it's when things don't go as planned that you really experience something, you know, that you really, you really like live. Essentially you get to be surprised really by, by what's happening. It's, it's, you have to be in the moment because you didn't plan for this. You know, it's, it's different than you thought. And, I feel like that's what you were just highlighting right now. It's like, yeah, you know, even going on to this next adventure, it's like I have certain things in mind and I know from experience that they're not going to turn out the way I spec them out to be. Um, Cause that's basically what it is. It's like, okay, this is what I think is going to happen. But that's the, that's the magical part. It's like if everything happened exactly the way I thought it was, it, it might be kind of boring. I mean, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Uh, it seems like it would. Because they're, you know, you just sort of lose that. Like, well, I guess it would it would feel a little bit like a process, or like you're just checking a a list. Um, I'm I'm su- I'm super open to things being different. Like even uh, so, Sarah and I, when we talk about going out there, we we don't really know where we're gonna land, and so that's part of the adventure. Like, we're just trying to get to Colorado right now, you know, <laughs> and this last trip we took we, I mean it could have been Fort Collins um, you know she actually did not she didn't get the gig there but that's okay but it might be Denver it might be Longmont which is where we actually want to live but it may not like we have no idea and that's that's kind of what's interesting about it and look, we were just talking about kind of almost re-entertaining Denver again because we don't we weren't like super stoked about Denver but I was like I don't know and I kind of highlighted, like, like even if we spend a year there, 
it'd be cool to get to know that city because we're going to be next to that city. So it'd be cool to get to know it for what it is. And then, you know, and then eventually I'm sure we're going to move just outside of the city because, you know, that's what we're looking for is like sort of small town feel or smaller town feel, I should say. Um, so yeah, man. I think, I think that, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's all about these unexpected adventures that you end up happening. And sometimes when you line up the, you line up your expectations to be X, right? Mm-hmm. And X doesn't happen. Then you, it becomes this binary path. You can either go down a path of saying like, oh, this is terrible and it's not what I um, wanted or thought was going to happen. Or you can go down the other path and you say, Okay, what's in front of me? Like, let's let's like bushwhack. Let's forge ahead, and yeah. that happens, right? Like, it's it, using that Ralph Potts analogy. Um, like Pam and I experience that, right? It's like you have the expectation that you're like, oh, we're gonna have this kid, and the kid's gonna like. You just like, oh, we're gonna have a kid. We'll have a little family. It's like you don't, you can't plan for things to happen the way they do. We didn't plan on on. Theo having a neurosurgery that would cause him to get a trach that would cause him to go on a ventilator and stuff, but it's like, no, that's just part of the that's part of bushwhacking through the journey, right? It's not a bad yeah. journey; it's just a different journey, and it kind of makes different. our journey, our little story that we have, that uh, just adds a layer of uniqueness to it, right? And yeah. it's, it it yeah. just gives us a different lens through which we see things, and it's kind of like it's cool. It's cool. It's it's um, it's not something that everybody gets to experience, and so you got to look at it that way, right? You got to look yeah. at it and say, "Kid's still healthy. He's fine. He's like, yeah, it's not. It's not always easy when you're like, oh, dude, like, I gotta run. Like, his ventilator's alarming, or you're just like paying attention to whether or not he can breathe because he's got, um, like his trach is plugged with like mucus in it, right? But you're just like, no, I'll figure it out." I'll get it all sorted out. So, um, yeah, man, like I can relate. I can absolutely relate to that kind of mindset. And that's, um, it's just, it's something that, that makes your life as you have these mini chapters, it makes it one part of that, that overall story. For sure. And you know, the, the word we keep saying is different. And I think it's sort of, it's the reason you, you do these interviews and you have the podcast character. It's like, different it's about people's different experiences if if they were if you literally if we were talking to each other and we had the exact same experiences i mean it would be a pretty short conversation you know there'd be no level of interest there'd be um you know and and even tying it back to you know the, the people we're talking about in la like these different comedians and stuff and how they riff off each other it's because they're so different and that's what makes it what it is um so it's literally the differences that make things special. Uh, if, it, if it were all the same, it would just be monolithic, you know, just it'd feel like Walmart you know, or whatever. It'd just be like, you know, more of the same, I guess. And we don't need a bunch of Walmarts everywhere. That's that's um, kind of it. I remember uh, when, one of my great friends said, he was, when we were talking about, we kind of talked about um, he's got, his brother has uh has Down syndrome and 
um, like he's very close with his brother, and so he and I have talked about Theo and the way that Theo's growing up different, and the way that you might have different expectations when before a kid's born and all this kind of stuff. And it's not bad by any means, but he's like, man, think about this: you're gonna go to Italy on a trip, and you read all about Italy. And you hype in your mind how good Italy is and you know exactly where you're going to go eat and what you're going to do and all of these great things. And you start to hype it and hype it and hype it. And you're on the plane and there's an announcement over the loudspeaker that's like, yo, we're actually, we're going to land, we're going to land in the Netherlands. Hmm. And we're not going to Italy. We're we're stopping in Netherlands and that's it. That's the last stop for this plane. You have two things you can do. You can complain about how you wanted to go to Italy or you can realize that Netherlands has some of the most beautiful tulips you'll ever see. And there are these quaint towns like Amsterdam or cities, I should say, where people bike everywhere and they've got all these coffee shops, and there's like a certain romanticism to a a city like that or a country like that. And it's not bad, but when you're trying to compare it to Italy, it's never going to be Italy. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't smell the same. But it's beautiful in its own respect. And so it's like you just have to adjust your, your mindset, your expectations of like what the way that you're navigating that journey because just because it's not the journey that you thought you were going to take doesn't mean that it's not a beautiful one, you know? Right, man. You know, it's, dude, this is so funny. Your your hypothetical just drudged up a, a story that sort of brings me back to the Bay Area and, like, right before we were about to move here. It, I mean, this sounds – it reminds me of it's such a kind of close, uh, I guess, some parallels here, this hypothetical that you just laid out. So – um Sarah and I, we were we were in Bakersfield at the time. She was doing her her undergrad, or sorry, her master's degree there, and we were making this plan, like you know, because we started dating. And we're like, hey, let's let's move to the Bay Area, and um, her you know parents live in the area, or whatever. But um, we decided that we were going to do a day trip to Santa Cruz, which is not quite the Bay Area, but it's close. And we just figured, ah, oh, we'll drive up for the day. We'll go to Santa Cruz. She has some like fond memories. Talk about checking the the boxes here. She had some fond memories of Santa Cruz and like the boardwalk and all this stuff. So we drove up, we go to Santa Cruz and we're, we're at the boardwalk and we're just not feeling it. Like she's just like, this isn't what I remembered. I don't really, you know, we're not having a good time. We're like, oh, this is kind of like, no, it doesn't feel right. It's not what we expected. And uh, so we're like, hey, you want to like, you want to actually go to San Francisco? Like, we're all the way up here. Like, why don't we just go to San Francisco? We didn't bring any phone chargers. Like, we had nothing. And so we drive to, we book a random hotel. We drive to this place. It's like in the uh, Tenderloin District, which is like not the best part of San Francisco. And we go there, and uh, our phones aren't working at this point. We check in. They have these AAA maps, like for tourists, like the kind that there's like a stack of them, and you, you peel one off, and it's like, like a big old piece of paper. It's like a, you know, a map of San Francisco basically. And so we peel one of those bad boys off and it's kind of late at night and we're like, all right, let's go get some food, you know? And we set out on foot, no cell phones, stupid map. And, you know, we go to some random 
you know, burger joint that had, like, hot dogs, whatever. And uh, we it was pretty good food. It wasn't, like, the best. So it was pretty good. Really nice people there. Um, and at the end of the trip, or at the end of the the meal, we ended up getting, like, a bag of ice. We're like, hey, can we get a bag of ice? Because we got this idea that we're going to get some um, some beers on the way back from, like, a, you know, whatever liquor stores on the way back home or back to the, the hotel. And uh, so we do that. We have this bag of ice. And the reason we have the bag of ice is because, you know, we're going to dump it in the sink and put the beers in the sink. And the hotel was totally, like, lame. Like, it had, oddly enough, it had, like, a, a sink in the same sort of room. And so we dumped the bag of ice, put the beers in there. And, I mean, it was just this random trip that, like I said, we just did not, we just kind of rolled with the punches. We were like, ah, oh, we're not really feeling this. Let's go do this. And to this day, it's one of the best trips we've ever had because we just went with it. Like, we just kind of literally allowed ourselves to explore and experience. And we didn't hold ourselves back at all. And I think that's probably sort of a, a testament to the type of relationship we have and, like, why it works so well is because we're just so down to, like, make it happen, you know, just whatever it is. And, um, yeah, man, it's just reminding me of that experience you're like, talking about landing somewhere else, you know, <laughs> and just going with it. So, this is the last piece with Jason Gonzalez, part three. We knocked it out, all three parts, and, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the Gons has has an interesting perspective on life, and um, he's had quite the journey. I mean, I think I think that that is the underlying theme: is that everyone has these inherently interesting stories, and just thinks that their stories are average and normal. And to them, to each person, yeah, they are. But to other people, they're all these unique calculations of life experiences and and that's kind of the big takeaway you never know the the hand of cards that you're going to be given you never know the way that you're going to have to steer the rudder of the ship and navigate the the seas that you sail on but it, it comes down to mindset it comes down to choice it comes down to the way that you choose to navigate the world look at it and and what you do about it so um always lots of cool takeaways and i mean i just love talking with jason and he and i have uh have had some really cool conversations not not everything was released that we actually talked about um we talked for probably a total of close to 10 hours um but yeah, we just had some cool conversations, and uh, not all of them were life story based. We were, just, we were just talking about things that we we both are into and both enjoy. So um, had a lot of fun, and can't wait to bring more stories to you next week. So got lots of lineup, um, lots of people, different people lined up, already recorded with them. Next week is going to be a great single episode with comedian Chris Jones based out of Los Angeles, California so can't wait to share that one with you if you feel like you're a little mentally slow 
your mental QD isn't where it should be. You want to get down in the limitless game if you've seen that movie. Check out On It. Go grab some Alpha Brain. O-N-N-I-T dot com. They've got you covered for total human optimization. If you want a little extra oomph in your step when it comes to being physically active, check out that Shroom Tech Sport or got all these different nutraceuticals so um if you just want to throw around kettlebells they've got those too they've even got like gorilla faced ones and werewolf faced ones and all these cool things so go check out on it and uh yeah they'll hook you up anything you need to stay physically fit or mentally sharp also check out cedar and moss if you want to see what's up in the lighting game if you just want to make sure that that you don't get scared in the dark. I mean, maybe Halloween's coming up. Maybe maybe you just get a bunch of lanterns, all these cool things. But yeah, cedar and moss, um, unbelievably beautiful products, beautiful lights. Uh, they're not available in Canada as far as um, like brick-and-mortar retail goes that I know. But you just order everything online. Like, why, why do you need to go to a store? Buy stuff sight unseen. That's, that's the way I do it. That's the way I did it. I've ordered, I ordered probably like 10 or 12 lights from them and uh, can't wait to get them. So, brass is back. Get those that gold light and, uh, yeah, throw in an Edison bulb and make it seem like you're in 1920. So, go check out Cedar and Moss. C-E-D-A-R-A-N-D-M-O-S-S dot com and they'll hook you up.